to Yo and Yo's podcast. We've had the privilege of advising Michigan businesses for over 95 years, and we want to share our knowledge with you, covering tax, accounting, technology, financial, and advisory topics relevant to you and your business. Yo and Yo's podcast is hosted by industry and subject matter experts, where we go beyond the beans. So if you want to stay in the know about business issues and trends that affect you, then keep listening because this is Everyday Business with Yo and Yo. Welcome to Yo and Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Jewell, Principal and Tax Service Line Leader at Yo and Yo. And joining me today is Kelly Brown. Kelly is a manager in the Saginaw office, a member of the firm's tax services team and state and local tax services group. Kelly specializes in sales tax and all things multi-state. Kelly, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Dave. Usually I talk about sales tax and multi-state sales tax exposure, but today I want to talk about other types of tax nexus and exposure, such as income taxes, franchise taxes, and gross receipts taxes. That sounds great. More and more we're seeing that business activity is crossing state lines and there can be a lot of confusion and mystery around which taxes are due. I'm glad that you can shed some light on this for us. Yes, and the different regulations for different jurisdictions really adds to the complexity, but ultimately everything hinges on nexus. Nexus is a fancy word for connection. So in order for a state to impose a tax on an entity, there must be enough of a connection. Nexus can be achieved in a variety of ways, and the states can be very vague about what does or doesn't create nexus. Having employees working in a state or having property in a state, such as inventory or a building, an office, a warehouse, a storefront, those will generally create nexus. Okay, so this is the question that's in front of everybody right now. You mentioned inventory. What about inventory in an Amazon warehouse? Does that count? Yes, as generally the business retains ownership of the inventory and even pays Amazon for storing it for them until it is sold. Historically, we've seen that states have gotten that information directly from Amazon and then used it to find taxpayers that weren't compliant. Anecdotally, I've heard about it primarily in regards to sales tax, though, as the tax dollars are larger for non-collected sales tax than they are for income tax. But for any state that doesn't have nexus thresholds for inventory, this is a risk factor for businesses who have Amazon hold their inventory in the warehouses throughout the U.S. Yeah, so it sounds like businesses really need to be vigilant of where they're leaving a footprint. Let's go back to nexus real quick. You mentioned that having people and property in the state. So if a business doesn't have employees or tangible property stuff in a state, would you say that they don't have nexus? In that case, the business wouldn't have physical presence nexus, but there's still the possibility that it may have economic nexus. Economic nexus occurs when a business derives some economic benefit from a jurisdiction, such as a sales revenue. Okay, so if a business has sales in all 50 states, then they have nexus and they need to file in all 50 states? My typical answer, maybe. It ultimately still depends on nexus, as well as what types of business activity exists in each state, as well as what taxes a state has. There are some states that don't even have an income tax. If a business is merely selling tangible personal property or stuff into a state, while there may be nexus from both the economic activity or their sales, as well as perhaps salespeople having activity in the state, there's a federal law in the books, Public Law 86272, which we generally call PL 86272 for short. 
This is a longstanding law that is used to protect interstate commerce by not allowing states to just subject a business to income tax if their only activity in the state is limited to just their sales of stuff like tangible personal property, not services, and then employees operating in the state that are limited to salespeople who don't have permissions to do beyond some restricted activities. So they can't approve orders, they can't deliver orders, they can't take returns, they can only do sales. Okay, so you're saying that if a business has activities in a state that don't exceed these restrictions, a business wouldn't need to file a tax return for that state? Again, the answer is maybe. Some states will still have a filing requirement where a business needs to file and assert the protections of PL 86272 in order to be covered. Sometimes it's even just a box to check on the return, which then puts the state on notice if they're going to contest that assertion by the business. However, we have to remember that PL 86272 is for income-based taxes only. So many states have taxes that aren't based on income, such as a gross receipts tax or a franchise tax, which may or may not be based on income. In those cases, PL 86272 is not applicable. Further, PL 86272 offers protection when there is tangible personal property involved, but many businesses sell services or intangibles such as downloadable or digital items. PL 86272 isn't applicable in those circumstances. Let's go back a little bit then to economic nexus. Let's say that we have a business where it has a digital product, so we can't use PL 86272. Is there a certain dollar amount of sales that it would need to have before this economic nexus is met? I think I remember that from sales tax where it was usually $100,000 or so in sales or 200 transactions, something along those lines. Is it the same for other types of tax? That would be great if the states would spell it out that precisely like they do for sales tax. But the way most of the state laws are written, it's pretty vague where it could be interpreted that just a dollar in sales into the state would constitute economic nexus. A dollar in sales, that sounds kind of crazy. So that doesn't seem like it would even be worth it to file a return in that state for, for such a low dollar amount. I agree. And perhaps those interpreting the laws in the various jurisdictions have a general threshold that in practice they adhere to. But we first look to the laws and then it becomes a matter of risk tolerance. The risk of non-filing for $1 in sales is obviously much less than the risk for a million dollars in sales, both in tax dollar amounts at stake, as well as whether the state would take the time to send a notice or pursue the taxpayer for back filings and taxes. That makes sense. Uh, you said that most of the state laws for economic nexus for income and franchise taxes are pretty vague. Are there any states that spell it out for us? There are a handful of states that have factor presence rules, which need less interpretation and seem to have fewer gray areas. These states give a dollar amount, not only for sales, but also for payroll and property amounts. There's often a percentage component also. So for instance, it could be $500,000 or 25% of sales, or sometimes it's $50,000 or 25% of payroll. California even adjusts these amounts for inflation annually. So the sales threshold started out at $500,000 several years ago, but it's now up to over $600,000 in sales. Got it. So having the factor presence rules, that's a great bright line test for businesses to make a determination of whether they need to file. Are there any other taxes that you see that business owners are often subject to but surprised by? I've seen the Ohio commercial activity tax surprise several business owners even some with physical locations in the state of Ohio. 
For a business operating outside of Ohio, $500,000 or more in annual receipts from Ohio sales is all it takes to be subject to this tax. The tax began in 2005, and we prepared several voluntary disclosure agreements for businesses that just weren't aware of it or thought that it didn't apply to them. Washington State also has a gross receipts tax, and for out-of-state businesses, it takes just $100,000 in Washington receipts to be subject to it. This amount has been lowered in the past few years to line up with their sales tax thresholds, and in the process, more businesses have the filing requirement. Can you explain then, how does the voluntary disclosure work? What does that look like? We submit some anonymous information about the business to the state, and then the state provides a preliminary approval. At that point, we provide the identifying information of the business and the state sets up a plan for getting compliant, which generally involves filing three years worth of Ohio cat tax returns and paying the tax and interest and filing going forward. What would the alternative to that look like? Once a business has been contacted by the state of Ohio, they're subject to a 10-year look-back period for filing, as well as the tax, penalties, and interest. If already contacted by the state, the voluntary disclosure option is off the table. It can get very pricey. Just late registration alone can be $1,000 in penalties. Late filing is generally $50 per late return, but the biggest benefit is limiting the look back to three years instead of 10 years. That has been our experience with Ohio voluntary disclosure. Other states have varying rules, but generally the primary benefit of a voluntary disclosure is the reduction in the amount of years the state looks at and the reduction in the penalties. Often taxes and interest are statutory and cannot be negotiated. Okay, so that's a lot of information to take in. What can a business do if they aren't sure whether they need to be filing in additional jurisdictions? What are some steps that they can put in place? The first thing we'd want to do is a nexus analysis. This is something that can take a few hours or many hours, depending on the complexity of the business and their activities. We generally start out by looking at sales, property, and payroll by state and getting a good understanding of general business operations. As we get this understanding, it guides our further inquiries so that we can determine where risk exists. All right, Kelly. Well, as always, thank you for joining me on this podcast of Yo and Yo's Everyday Business. Complex stuff, right? Sales tax, multi-state income, franchise taxes, Nexus, PL86272. There's a lot going on in this state and local tax realm. And I appreciate you shedding some light on this topic this afternoon. And as always, for anybody who's listening, if you have questions on multi-state tax filings, whether it be income tax, franchise tax, sales tax, all those kinds of things. We've got a great state and local tax group within our tax service line here at Yo and Yo that Kelly's a big part of, and we would love to help you navigate those challenges. So thank you everyone for listening. Kelly, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. And I hope everyone has a great day. Thank you for tuning in to Yo and Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. Yo and Yo's podcast can be listened to on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and of course, our website. Please subscribe, rate, and review. For more business insights, visit our resource center at yoandyo.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletters. We'll talk to you next time on Yo and Yo's Everyday Business Podcast.
The information provided in this podcast is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the podcast reflect the views of the speakers. This podcast does not constitute tax, accounting, legal, or other business advice or an advisor-client relationship. Before making any decision or taking action, you should consult with a professional regarding your specific circumstances.